0: Shalom. Welcome to the New Millennium Edition of the Torah Teaching. This audio program is produced by Lion and Lamb Ministries and is presented by Marty Judah. This portion begins in Leviticus chapter 16 at verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had approached the presence of the Lord and had died. After the death. In the Hebrew, it's akare mot. And this portion, which begins in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1, extends through into chapter 18, uh, through those three chapters. It's a very interesting portion. Uh, Let's uh, turn to the Lord, and we'll commit our time to the Lord and get into our study. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for Shabbat. We thank you for a day of rest. We thank you, Lord, that you made it for man and not man for the Sabbath. And we thank you. We receive this gracious gift that you've given to us, reminding us of you as the Creator. And Lord, a day of rest and refreshing for us. And we thank you, Lord, for the Word of God, not only that which is written, but the living Word of God of our Messiah who has come to make a way of salvation for us. And so, Lord, as we come this evening, we ask that you might open up our hearts, that your Spirit might be present, and that you might be our teacher here, that the things that we learn this evening would make us knowledgeable and productive for the kingdom of God. And we ask this all in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. Now, this portion of Akare Mot in the book of Leviticus has really two uh, subjects. But let me kind of introduce what this section is. Akare Mot is the midway point of the teaching of the whole Torah for the whole Torah cycle. This is the middle portion. In other words, at this point for the yearly cycle, we have completed half. And from this point forward is the other half. We're in the middle. You know what they call this portion? They call it the heart of the law. I'll give you a little spin twist on the Hebrew alphabet. There's all these little um, these little symbolic representations that have been extracted out of the, the Hebrew language and out of the Torah itself that is supposed to be clues or gives us indicators of how to understand the Word of God, how to understand how God's manifesting Himself to us. It comes in and this is like the mem portion. And it's in the Hebrew word. Amet. The Hebrew word amet has the first letter, Aleph, the middle letter, Mim, and the last letter, Tav. Aleph, Mim, Tav. And it means, that word means truth. Truth. And Yeshua said, I'm the Aleph and the Tav. He said, I'm the first and the last. Now, you may have heard it, I'm Alpha and Omega. That's if you were using the Greek letters. But I don't think that a Jewish Messiah talking to a Jewish Hebrew prophet would have used Greek. I think he probably would have spoken in Hebrew, and he would have said, I'm the Aleph and the Tau. I'm the first and last. What's the middle letter? Mim, meaning truth. And this portion, being in the middle of the Torah, is treated like the heart of the whole matter. And it has two subjects that are in it that really express that. And before I go into that a little bit further, I need to give you kind of, you know, an analogy, a word picture to talk about the law of God. And what most of us have come to know in in our faith in Messiah is, is grace and mercy. And it's pictured for you in your parents. You see, the Father lays down the law. But if you want grace and mercy, you go to Mom. And there's a kind of a masculine gender to the Torah, and there's a kind of a female gender to the New Covenant. I don't know if you knew that. It's a little bit kind of pictured. It's like our teacher. And I would never suggest, I would not give the counsel that it is in the best interest of your family for it to be a single parent family. It's much better if you have a father and a mother, you know, to raise children with. And in the same way, it's much better for you to learn these principles of God's family for you to have a father and you to have kind of a mother, that you have the law and you have grace and mercy too, that you take them all together. The fact of the matter is that this portion is broken up like those two pieces a little bit. There's things about the Messiah in this first part, and then there are things about the law commandments, instructions for us. This first part in chapter 16 uh, starts off with explanation as to what shall be the manner in which the Aaron, high priest of Israel, shall enter into the sanctuary. Follow along with me as I read from verse 2, chapter 16. And the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy holy place only with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic, and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body, and he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with the linen turban. These are holy garments." Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell, and make it a sin offering. But on the goat, which the lot for the scapegoat fell, shall he be presented alive before the Lord, to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. This first portion talks about the holiday we call the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It's completely on the other side of the year. Yom Kippur is, in, is generally in the October time frame. And in this teaching, here it is, this teaching on the other side of the year. Why? Why would God put this teaching over here on the other side of the year in this sequence? He knew how we would teach this in the sequence. And I think the reason is, is because he wants to remind us of what that ceremony is all about. It's about a sin offering and a scapegoat. The fact of the matter is, that the lord has been made a scapegoat for us that's where we get this expression you know this you know so and so was made the scapegoat he wasn't really guilty he was innocent but he's been made the scapegoat and he's been made to bear it and he's the one who's made into the outcast he's the one who's cast off this ceremony of the day of atonement was the one time of the year in which that the high priest was able to enter into, past the holy place, past the veil, and into the Holy of Holies in the sanctuary, only on this day, and only after the sacrifice had been made. It goes on to give the rest of instruction to include that the scapegoat is to be taken by a priest, taken outside of the temple, across the Valley of Kidron, which is to the east of the Temple Mount area, out over to the Mount of Olives, and there it is to be handed over to, the Scripture uses these different phrases, but one means a timely man, one means a fit man, or an appointed man. It's not a priest. That the scapegoat is given, and actually in the oldest writings, they say it was given not to a Jew, but to a Gentile. Isn't that interesting? This major Jewish ceremony in the temple There's a Gentile which has been appointed unto a task. The goat is given to him. And he then walks up over the Mount of Olives and goes out into the Judean wilderness, about an area of about, oh, about three and a half miles. And there he releases the goat. And the land says that he lets him go. And they used to set up a system. It worked a couple of different ways they used to set up a a flag system. They would have ten men stationed along the way, and they would have signal flags. And at the moment that the goat was let go, the signal man would give the signal, and each of these ten signals would flash back instantly so they could get the signal into the temple at the moment the goat was released. So that they would know he has been let go. They also had another tradition in which that they had, uh, before the goat went out, that the high priest had taken a piece of red yarn, bright red scarlet yarn, and he would cut the yarn in two. He would take one piece and tie to the horn of the goat, the scapegoat, and the other, he would go over to the door of the temple and he would tie to the door. At the moment that the signal would go, that the goat was let go, The fit man was to bring back true evidence that the sins of Israel had been carried away by the scapegoat, because this piece of yarn had become white. And they would bring it back, and when he would walk back to the temple, he would hand to the priest, they would walk back up to the high priest, he would go and get the other piece of yarn, and they had to show two pieces of yarn to all of Israel that they were both white. Thus the prophet Isaiah said, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. It's a very interesting write-up in the Talmud, the old rabbinical writings. that said, for some reason, we don't know why, the miracle of the yarn turning white stopped approximately 40 years before the destruction of the temple. Now, the destruction of the temple was in A.D. 70. This miracle ceased at about 30 A.D. Isn't that interesting? That's about the timing of the work of the Messiah. And thus we have the symbols of the work of God making sins, though they be as scarlet, to be white as snow. This atonement was for the purpose so that once a year, all Israel would know that their sins had been carried off. God had had made them clean, that they would have atonement. The fact of the matter is, this kippah that we wear as a, as a custom comes from the same holiday and this same teaching. We wear a cover, a kippah, to symbolize that God has covered us. That's the only way that we're going to get our sins taken care of. The only way we can be made clean is not by our behavior, but if God covers us and gives us a covering to make us clean. And in fact, kippa is like the word kippur, yom kippur, yom kippah. That's where, that's where it comes from. That's what it means. It symbolizes you have an atonement. It's, it's a testimony. Every man who wears the kippah, I'm made, giving testimony. I have an atonement. So God has made atonement for me. So the question that would really come up for us, uh, and it's not such a tough question for us, so, well, who, where's our scapegoat? And the answer is obviously in Yeshua. He who was without sin was made our scapegoat. And he took our sins upon himself and he carried them out. He carried them away from us. And we have the evidence of the regeneration of our lives in the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like the white yarn. You know, we've been made clean. And we have the evidence of the Holy Spirit. To be as our testimony. Now, that's the that's one part of Akare Mo. Everybody who's a believer can can see this picture and and relate to it. Now we get to the next part, and it gets a little tougher. It's a little tougher. You see, this next part, which starts there in chapter 17, it starts off and follow along with me in chapter 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the sons of Israel, and say to them, This is what the Lord has commanded, saying. Now, right off the bat, that's, that's way too tough for us. Or oh, you mean, i got to follow commands. So number one, certain people, they just don't like God's authority. Now, I don't care what he's commanding. I just don't like authority. I don't like anybody making a command for me. You know, I, I want to see grace work to its maximum. But the New Testament teaches us, should we sin so that grace will abound? God forbid. God forbid that we should sin to see grace abound. Thank you for the grace, God. But one of these days we need to grow up, and we need to obey, and we need to respect our Heavenly Father even as we would our own earthly Father. And if He has commanded it and said it, then we should take it serious, and we should consider Verse 3, any man from the house of Israel who slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or who slaughters it outside the camp and has not brought it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guiltiness is to be reckoned to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. The reason is so that the sons of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they were sacrificing in the open field, that they may bring them into the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting to the priest and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and offer up the fat and smoke as a soothing aroma to the Lord. And they shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demons with which they play the harlot. This shall be a permanent statute to them throughout their generations. Then you shall say to them, any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them, that's Gentiles, Who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. And any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Therefore, I said to the sons of Israel, no person among you may eat blood, nor may any alien who sojourns amongst you eat blood. So when any man from the sons of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them in hunting catches a beast or a bird which may be eaten, and he shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For as for the life of all flesh, its blood is identified with its life. Therefore I said to the sons of Israel, you are not to eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And when any person eats an animal which dies or is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or an alien, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and remain unclean until evening. Then he will become clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then, the, then he shall bear his guilt. Very interesting instruction. And by the way, God says these are permanent ordinances. Never going to be changed. Permanent. That's what the word permanent means. But we live in a day, and many of us have been instructed, that the commandments that I just read, concerning how you shall present a sacrifice to the Lord, and concerning the subject of blood, Well, that's the law that's done away with. Let me ask you something. If the law is done away with, are you permitted to eat blood? First of all, the the whole thought seems disgusting. But there's something inside of you that says, wait a minute, the life is in the blood. These are commandments about atonement and life. The author of life is saying these are the permanent rules. These are the permanent rules. No matter what, forever. But some would say, "Well, God was fibbing a little bit. He changed his mind. He, 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 I guess, he made a mistake there. You know, because see, when we got the new covenant, when we got this grace and this mercy thing, well, all that stuff went away. It didn't go away, brethren. It's still true." These are still the rules. These are still the rules. If you, a Gentile, you decide you want to set up an altar in your backyard. I want to go get a couple of chickens or whatever, lamb. And I want to worship God like Abraham worshipped God, like Isaac and like Jacob and like the sons of Israel. I want to do some real religious thing here. And you decide that you want to go out there and say, oh, God, uh, here's here's the sacrifice. You want to play priest. You take the life of this animal. The law says, God says, you are guilty of the blood. It is not a cover for you. To the sons of Israel, you are not permitted to go set up altars. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob set up altars, but you don't see no sons of Israel setting up those places in their little courtyards there in New York for where all the Jews live and setting up altars. There's a reason, because it says, no, you will not do that. Because here's the understanding. If you were to do such a thing, if you were to sacrifice an animal and you do not present it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and that is either Jerusalem, at the temple, or the tabernacle of Moses, wherever it is set up. If you don't do it there, It is though, listen to this, it is as though you have offered meat to idols. And if you sit and you attempt to feast on that and call that a feast of the Lord, the Lord says, that's no feast to me. That's a feast to idols. You will not take the life of any animal except at the place where I've put my name, and that's right there at the doorway of that tent, and you hold it up for me to see right there, and then I will accept it. And it will be done by a priest. He will present the blood for you. You are not going to play some sort of religious game and say, "Well, hey, you know, I sinned, and uh, according to God, the rules are all I got to do is get a little blood." Well, let's go out and see what do we got. Well, we got a chicken. Uh, I think that sin was worth a chicken. Let's go kill the chicken. We'll eat the chicken. Hey, my sins are gone. It's not the way it works. That's never the way it has worked. That is never the way it has ever worked. Nobody ever got their sins taken care of by the blood of bulls and goats, the Scripture says. You're not going to trick God into a covering for your sin that way. God will do the forgiving. And He will present it at its proper place so that it can be the proper substitution. And He's trying to tell you it's life for life. You will not shame the life. Of another, And he tells us the blood of the animal represents the life of the animal. The fact of the matter is, brethren, when we sat down to a fine chicken dinner or a fine beefsteak dinner, I don't know whether you've thought about this or not, but the fact is the animal died so that you might live. That animal gave up its life so that you might receive the nourishment, so that you might be strengthened, so you might live. God made that life. He's made a way for you to continue your life. There's an acceptable and a proper way to do this, and you will not indiscriminately take life. If you do so in the worship of the Lord, you'll do it this way. These are the rules, he says. Now that's number one. Then he says no blood. You will not consume the blood. I don't know if you know this or not, but We're talking about kosher now, that which is fit and proper. How you take a clean animal, slaughter it properly, wash it properly, and vacate the blood away from the animal, that's called make kosher. To make it fit and proper. And to make the tissue of a clean animal into acceptable food, it is to remove the blood so that we do not eat the blood of the animal. So he says, you won't eat the blood of the animal. I don't know whether you got it, but he said, you will eat kosher foods. You will eat food that is fit and proper. If you eat the blood of that animal that has not been made fit and proper, you're guilty of indiscriminately taking the life of the animal To be for your life and not doing it properly in accordance with the creator of all life. His rules. Not my rules, his rules. Now he goes a little bit further. It's going to get sticky now. I'm not going to read you chapter 18. You're going to read chapter 18 because I get embarrassed reading these things in a mixed audience. It says, when it comes to life, when it comes to your sexual life, When it comes to the procreation of life, there's rules. You're not going to go mate with other animals. There are rules. You're not going to sin against your father, against your mother, against your sister, against your wife, against your husband. You're not going to sin in this sexual perversion. You will not have incest. You will not have molestation. You will not have homosexuality. Oh, brother. Now, God, now, now you're really getting out of control. And on top of that, he says, because if you do, it's an abomination. But you see, here's the problem. And we, as a, as a kind of a Christian community in the world, we, we did it to ourselves. Somebody smart said, hey, this grace and mercy thing, it's so good, we don't need the law. I want to go do my business with mom. I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to deal with the guy who lays the law down. I just want to deal with all this grace and mercy stuff. I get forgiven every time I make a mistake. And as a result, they discounted and they said, yeah, those don't have any authority over us anymore. They don't belong to us. We don't keep those. One of them was, man shall not lie with another man as though he would with a woman. That's not in the New Testament. That's here, from this command. And there's other rules about perversion and misconduct of a sexual nature. Sins unto yourselves, unto your own bodies. And because we <laughs> kind of outsmarted ourselves, we we made some of the commandments go away so we wouldn't have to deal with them and now the world doesn't have a standard anymore and a witness from a from a believing community that can stand up and say that that homosexuality is an abomination you want to know why those different churches are ordaining homosexual priests and Ministers and teachers, and they're considering homosexual marriages in their church. You know why? Because they said these commandments don't apply no more. They said they're not no more. So if they're not no more, well, we don't have to do them. It don't apply. This thing about blood, it don't apply. This thing about sexual perversion, it don't apply. And you know what? The world we're in is accepting it. The world we're in is accepting it. Christians are accepting it because they have the lawless. They have no more commandments. That's where they're at, right here. That's where they're at. Now, I know, I know where some of you are coming from, and I know that this has been the dominant teaching. Of the church. Let, let, let me show you over here. Move with me over to Acts chapter 15. See, this whole business about what, what should be kept in the law and what shouldn't be kept, and, and the fact that the law went away, it did, all of this got discussed early in the New Covenant. You know, Messiah had come, he died, the Holy Spirit was given, um, the Gentiles start coming into faith, and now this Christianity thing is not just a Jewish thing, it's for the Gentiles, it's for all peoples, and the Gentiles start coming in, and here we got a bunch of these legalist uh, Jewish lawyers who say, hey, you Gentiles, you've got to keep the law. And they're wrong. They're saying, you, got, you have to circumcise all your males and, and all your sons have to be circumcised. You have to become Jews to be a partaker in the Jewish Messiah and to study this Jewish book called the Torah. Where did they, where'd they get the initial idea? It? It's because right back there I read to you, it says these commandments are for the sons of Israel and the alien and sojourner who may dwell or live with you. If these Gentiles are going to come in here and start worshiping the Jewish Messiah and dwell with us, be considered part of the camp, here's the commandments. Well, they went a little far. They said, they didn't talk about the stuff there in Leviticus 17 and 18. They started talking about circumcision and other kinds of things because those are symbols to us that represent keeping the law and having this covenant. Circumcision is a sign of the covenant. And obviously the Gentiles got to come into the same covenant. Forget the new covenant. They just got to come into this. A little misunderstanding. So anyways, they assemble together. And verse uh, 1 of chapter 15, and says, Some of the men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So we got the doctrine of salvation kind of balled up into this thing. Circumcision has got nothing to do with salvation. Not with a Jew. Not with, a Jew, not with anybody. Circumcision doesn't belong to the doctrine of salvation at all. It's a sign thing, just a sign. In any ways, they assemble all the brethren, Paul with some Gentiles who become believers, Peter, Apostle Peter, James, you know, he's the first pastor or first Baptist there in Jerusalem. It's the way I was always taught. And uh, they get together, and they're trying to decide this issue. What are we going to do with these Gentiles, and what about this requirement? that what, what do they got to do about the law? Because the law was given to Israel. Where do the Gentiles fit into this? Do they have to keep those commandments or no? Which commandments do they keep? You see, it always comes back to that. We can all agree that we must obey the Lord, but when it comes to the question of what commandments are there that we're supposed to obey, that's where the rub comes in. Which commandments are we supposed to keep? We know we're supposed to keep them, but which ones? So they get together for this meeting, and there's a great argument over this. And finally, Peter stands up, the apostle to the Jews, and he gives the following testimony. He says, brethren, you'll recall, and I've done this teaching before with you back in Acts 10, that God gave me a vision. I was on my roof, and God brought the sheet down, and he showed me a whole bunch of unclean things, and he told me I was to eat of it, and I didn't eat. And the next thing you know, God takes me to the house of a Gentile, an unclean Gentile. And I start preaching to him, and the Holy Spirit falls upon him, and they're regenerated right there in front of me. And God God therefore showed me that I should not call that which I thought was unclean, unclean. What the Lord has made clean, I shall call clean. And God has made the Gentiles clean with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I have learned from the Lord not to do that. that God, God used me first, he said, the apostle to the Jews, to show this thing too. Now we have our brother Paul, who's out who's out ministering to the Gentiles. And he has come in with many testimonies of how what God has been doing amongst the Gentiles. How he has saved many. And he says, I have discovered that these Gentiles get saved the same way we Jews get saved, by faith. Wait a minute, tilt, time out. Wait a minute. He didn't say, these Gentiles get saved the same way we Jews do, by keeping the law. No Jew ever got saved by keeping the law. Ever. Not Moses, not anybody. If the grace and the covering of God doesn't come over you, you got no, you got no covering. If the mercy of God doesn't cover you, you got no covering. Keeping commandments, <laughs> you're just doing what you're supposed to be doing. That is, that doesn't save you. In any case, they decide, and James brings the conclusion of the matter together, and he says, "These things are spoken of in the Scripture. It's clear from the prophets." That it was God's intent to one day gather the Gentiles to himself, too. That this thing he was doing with Israel was kind of like the down payment thing. It was just the start thing for the world. But it was God's intention that all peoples would be reconciled to God. That all peoples would benefit from it. And he makes a very simple proclamation. Let me read it to you, therefore. In Acts 15, verse... Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, and from fornication, and what is strangled, and from blood. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. This is an assembly place, like a synagogue. Moses is read here. This is Achere Mote, Sabbath of Achere Mote. What, What are we reading? Leviticus 17 and 18. What is Leviticus 17 and 18 about? Don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Abstain from blood and things strangled, and abstain from fornication. Because it says right in there it's for the sons of Israel and for the aliens who may sojourn with them. James says, Those commandments in Leviticus 17 and 18 apply, and they are essential, and you as a Gentile must, must obey these permanent commandments because they are permanent from God, and they have to do with the definition of life. Life. Life that will be taken before God. Life that is in the blood. And life, your intimate, your personal life, your very psychic, your very person, the procreating of life. Life. These are rules. And the God of the living says there's rules about life. And you'll do it. You must. These are essentials. Now it's clear they write a letter to the Gentiles. They dispatch two witnesses, two Jewish witnesses who are before them, have the testimony of being prophets. So that it might go out, this letter might be read in all amongst all the Gentile believers, and witness both by writing and by the word of mouth, the testimony of two. So there will be no more question whatsoever with regard to you Gentiles. What commandments are you to keep? You're to keep these. These three essentials. You will worship the Lord the way the Lord says He wants to be worshipped, not your own way. You will not eat the unclean. You will not eat the blood of the animal. You will respect the life of the animal that God has created. And three, you will respect your bodies and the bodies of other people. And you will not be perverse and an abomination. If you do those, you will have done well, he said. If you can avoid those three things, you will have done well to yourself. The fact of the matter is the offense of those three things produces the following things. If your worship of God gets out of kilter, man, you'll do all kinds of weird things. You'll do all kinds of weird things. That's not acceptable worship to the Lord. The law and the scriptures clear. You'll not eat the blood. Why, why put the unclean in you? It's just going to kill you. It's just going to produce disease. All forms of cancer and heart disease and other... Di- you know, we're not progressing. Our lives are ending quicker. I don't know about you, but the other guys in the Bible, they used to say that the average guy lived to be 70, and if he had a long life, he lived to 80. We're, we're humming around about 63 now. Because of where that stuff we're eating. It's always amazed me quite honestly, when people are deathly ill. Hospitals dying of all these different diseases, and they really wanted to obey the Lord, and they had no idea that the Lord had specified there are certain things that you shall not eat because they're unclean and it will harm you. And there they are sitting there with the diseases of the Egyptians on them. Well, I got grace and mercy, but I also got one of these Egyptian diseases. (laughs) You know what they need when they when you pray for them, and and I offer this as counsel when you minister to them. Pray that their sins may be forgiven. That's what Yeshua did when he healed people. When he healed him, he said, "Your sins are forgiven." What? What's that got to do with disease? Well, you you've been eating the unclean. That's why, and dying as a result. He said, don't do that. Don't do that. Isn't it interesting that the most deadly diseases that we know today, they're all transferred through blood products, exchange of blood. Not only is that where the life is at, that's where the disease and the death is at, or the lack of life is at. That's where it's at. There are rules about blood, about life and about these things. That's the world we live in. And then the last one, that one is the one that's really interesting these days, is the perversion. It'll kill you. It will kill you. You know, one of the things that we... that uh, I I was in the Navy, and uh, in the Navy... There's kind of a sailor, there's a sailor town in every port. And one of the things that I was indoctrinated in, and it's true, as a young sailor, if you want to go down there to sailor town and you want to have sexual relations with uh, somebody down there, just be advised that you're having sexual relations with the entire 7th fleet. Not having sex with one person. You're having sex with hundreds of thousands of millions of people. And the disease that's traveling from the blood to the blood to the blood to the next person to the next person, it's been around for a long time, long time. matter of fact, that disease originates all the way back into the days when these words were written. These commandments have not gone away. The disease hasn't gone away. The death hasn't gone away. It's still just as real as it was before. These rules still apply today. They're just as real as they were before. Now we live in a time when, for a person like you, a gentile, who might stand up and say, "You know, I think this God thing is for real. I think maybe these commandments are real. I think maybe God had a good idea about some of these rules for life, and maybe, maybe just maybe, I ought to obey some of them." And you're inclined in your heart to try to walk uprightly before the Lord and, and walk correctly and obey. The voice of the Lord. Isn't it ironic that the religious of this day would say you're wrong? That you're legalistic. Let me give you a definition for legalism. It's when you follow man's commandments. When you follow God's commandments, it's called obedience. And the fact of the matter is, this was the mistake that was made 2,000 years ago when the Lord came into the congregation of Israel, and he said, you guys have made a fundamental mistake about the keeping of commandments. You have traded in the commandments of God for the precepts of men. You're keeping commandments all right. They don't belong to God. They belong to men. And he scorned them for it. And so religious men and Christian leaders and so on said, see? Not supposed to be doing that. Well, what they're not supposed to be doing is following man's commandments. They're supposed to be following God's commandments. And to this day, we're still doing the same thing. The same, if the Lord was here today, addressing this issue today, he would not change any of his words to describe the present problem. We live in a time when men, religious men, have traded in the commandments of God the precepts of men. Now, back some time ago, I I spoke to you about the whole business about eating the clean, eating the fit and the proper. And so let's make sure that we got this straight. Are you saying, Monty, that if we don't keep these commandments, we're not going to go to heaven? Oh, contraire. I'm saying if you don't keep these commandments, you'll go to heaven faster. It doesn't have to do with salvation. It has to do with your life. Your fleshly life right now. You want to kill yourself? Slow, agonizing death? Well, disobey these commandments. A little bit at a time? Poison yourself? Inject disease? Affect your children? Destroy your life? A little bit at a time, every day, just a little bit at a time. Just violate these commandments. Because these are rules about life. By the author of life. He knows what life is and what life is not. And he says, if you do this, it's life. If you do that, it's not life. It will cause death. Now, I've given you both the instruction, both from what Moses has said. And when they referred to Moses... Back here in the New Covenant. It's in the New Covenant. It's the teaching of the New Covenant. It's essential, the New Covenant says, that you keep these three things. If I did not tell you that, if I was not straight with you about it, then I would be false as a teacher. I'm not teaching you what the book says. Because it says here that if you have any question about this commandment, if you have any question about how to how to obey this commandment, or or how does it apply to this situation or that situation, it says you can get all your answers if you will simply go to a synagogue on Sabbath where they teach Moses, and you can learn everything you need to know about this one. You want to know what the word fornication means in the Bible? The Leviticus 18 has a huge list for you. It's it's such a disgusting list. I don't read it. You can read it. I'm embarrassed, personally, to speak of such things, and we should be embarrassed to speak of it. But such things do happen, and in our day, we now have people who, they say, well, you know, it, it you know if it feels good, boy, why, why not do it? I mean, it didn't hurt nobody. It's kind of a victimless crime. Yeah, it did. It, it's killing you. And it's God's law. Well, we don't obey God's law. I know that. You're lawless. And you're dying as a result. It's like a it's like a son who grows up with no father. There are just certain things. He, you know, I mean, he, he gets fed. He, you know, he gets clothed. He gets bathed. He, but there's certain man things that he just doesn't quite learn. And when he becomes a man and tries to be a man, he just has a lot of difficulty. And things don't work out all the time. Because he didn't have a father's instruction, a father's example. He didn't have a model to go by. He didn't have any guidelines. If you devoid yourself of these scriptures, you're like a dysfunctional, you know, spiritual son. You you haven't got the full instruction. You don't have all of the guidelines right. Now, isn't it interesting, out of 613 commandments in the Torah, three, only three. That's all the New Testament says, three. Now, in our hearts, we know that we're supposed to obey the greatest commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. We know that we ought to obey the second commandment, which is like unto the first, love thy neighbor. Why do we know that? Because Yeshua said, If you love me, keep my commandments. What commandments? The New Testament hadn't been written when I said that. What commandments? What, what commandments did Jesus give? Oh, those ones up on the mountain to Moses. Who do you think wrote with his finger those commandments? Who do you think that was? It was Yeshua. The manifested form of the living God. In the form of a man. You know who, who that's that's where they came from. That's the reason why he told the Jewish religious leaders before Abraham was I am. I'm the guy that was in the burning bush talking to Moses. These are my commandments. Now the greatest irony there is in the world to me is to hear a religious man to say that we should love. Jesus, we should love the Lord. And then to turn around and say, well, these commandments back here in Leviticus 17, we, we don't keep this. That's the reason why Yeshua said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you did not do what I say? And he says, there's going to be a group of people who is going, now we're getting into salvation, because he says there's a group of people who are going to present themselves to him one day, And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in thy name? Didn't we preach your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many good, wonderful works in your name? And then he will say to them, depart from me, ye who work iniquity, for I never knew you. I never knew you. Well, how do we get to know God? How does God get to know us? How do we get to know Him? It's, it's, it's right back there in that portion in Leviticus. There in Leviticus 18, let me read that that, uh, that set of words to you. Here it says, here at cha- uh, chapter 18, beginning at, at verse uh, 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt, where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, and you shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes, to live in them in accordance with them. I am the Lord your God. There's two active verbs there. You shall do them, and you shall keep them. What that means is is that just because you mechanically happen along, and I happen to stumble on them and do them by accident. You do them, you've not yet learned to keep them. You've not grabbed hold of them and said, this is a, like they, the old fisher, you know, this is a keeper. This commandment's a keeper. Instead, like like the fisherman, you know, they, oh, it's not big enough for me. I don't, I don't like this fish. Let's throw him back. There's a lot of men, spiritual men, who, who go through the scripture and say, ah, let's see, we got a commandment here. Ah, I really don't like this one. Throw that one back. You know, the the guy that's the keeper, the doer and the keeper, whatever comes in that was from the Lord, that's for them, and it's a keeper. It's for them. It belongs to them. These commandments belong to you. Why do they belong to you? Because this is your God's commandment. The God who belongs to you, the God you know, and the God who knows you. These are his commandments. If it was somebody else's father, then you have the discretion to say, well, I don't want to keep that. But if it's your father, you better obey. Because that's the symbol that that's your father. Listen to the son. Well, oh, I have to do that because it's my father who said. that. Well, what's your father make you do? Oh, well, my father doesn't make me do that. Well, and see, it's only if you belong to him would you keep the commandment. Only those who know the Lord and call him their father. Then you must keep the commandment because he's your God. I'll I'll, I'll be real straight with you, brethren. There's a whole lot of our brethren who are not keeping these commandments because they're serving another God. If they were serving this God, the God of heaven and earth, the God of Genesis 1 through Revelation 22, these are his commandments and they would keep these commandments. But they don't keep these commandments because this is not their God. What their God is, it's a religious God. It's a, it's a God they created. You know, he's a, he's a good God. He's a nice God. And I've heard people talk about that God. Oh, my God would never permit such and such to happen in this world. My God would never, ever allow me, for example, to ever be caught up in a great judgment of God at the end of the ages, like called the Tribulation. My God would never let me. Yeah, you're right. I, th- I think your God probably wouldn't. The problem is, there's only one God. And these are His instructions, and these are the things He said, and that's what's going to be happening. A lot of religious people are going to walk up and say, I never knew this God. And this God's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Because what they have, instead of a relationship with the living God, they have a religious lifestyle. And they're no different from the people who have an alternate lifestyle. There's no difference. They're both an abomination to him. One's religious and the other one's irreligious. But the consequences are the same. No life... What I if if I could, if 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 I had a if I had a, a magic wand, I could you know God would answer this one prayer, if I could if I could change the world in one way, you know what it would be? I would sit down with every religious leader who calls himself and says that he's following the Lord, and I would review this commandment with him. And I would say, Make a decision. Does this commandment belong to you or not? Because if we could just get people to obey these particular commandments, the heart of the law, boy, we could sure straighten out a lot of things going on in this world about life and whether life should be sacred and whether we ought to be killing babies or not or what we should be doing with people with an alternate lifestyle that are into sin or disease. Boy, we could sure fix a lot of problems in this world if we just obey the Lord on this one. But we don't, and as a result, we live in the world with those consequences. But there's good news for us, brethren, because it's, it was shared with us earlier this evening. Uh, Kerry shared you know, that passage in the last days. There will be a group of people who will have the testimony of Yeshua and will keep His commandments. The commandments that belong to Yeshua. Those are the people who, they get through it. Those are the people that endure. Those are the people that have life. Those are the people who prosper. Now, it's a it's really a, a relatively simple lesson. You know, if I was counseling, you know, a young man who was always looking for that dividing spirit between his father and his mother, and his dad was always saying, "You got to do this," and he was always going to his mother and trying to play against her, and well, dad said, "I got to," but I, I really don't want to. I would end all that. Let's just, let's just do what Dad says on that. If, if Dad's taken a firm position on it, let's do it that way. And it'll be peace in the family. It'll be good. It'll be pleasant. And it won't be any more. But as long as we think we can play this little game, well, we'll appeal to the grace and the mercy and, the, and all that business. And we'll say that Dad's abusing us. You know, that, that game ain't going to work. Not with God. It ain't going to work. Because when it's all said and done, the bride will be obeying the bridegroom when this is all said and done. It'll all be one happy family then. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be obeying now. Brethren, simple. Simple to you. Does the Scripture teach you as a Gentile that you have the right to, to go worship God any way that you choose? No, it doesn't. Does the Scripture say that you're permitted to eat blood of the animal? No, it says you're not permitted. Does it say that you can eat of an animal that's been strangled and not made fit and proper? No, it does not. Does it say that you can go and do any sexual perversion that you want to do? that you can be a homosexual or lesbian or you can get it on with dogs or animals. No, it says you cannot. You can't. These are the rules of life. Now, if you want to serve another God with other commandments, go serve Him. But these are the commandments of the living God, the God of Israel, the God of heaven and earth the God who's coming back to exact in judgment upon the whole world. These are his commandments. And if you want to be found knowing him, then you have to obey his word and say he's the God. He's the one true God instead of another God. It's real simple. It's not hard to be understood. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but There are very few assemblies in this city that would give this teaching. I have always found it amazing when I go to other religious men and ask them, well, what about the letter to the Gentiles in Acts 15? You know, Acts 15, Acts 22, the letter to the Gentiles. What about that? Most religious men say to me, what are you talking about? What what letter to the Gentiles? Nobody teaches it. Why does nobody teach this? Nobody teaches Moses. Nobody teaches Moses' instruction about it. So when you get a question about this, and you read this, and you say, what's that mean? Moses is not being taught in your city in the synagogue on the assembly every Sabbath, so you can go get the answer on this one. That's the God that is the one true God. That's the God that's the true one. And these are his commandments. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your instruction. Thank you, Lord, that you give us commandments that, that mean life. Thank you, Lord, that you provided a salvation and a covering for sin. Thank you, Lord, that you've come up with a way to cover our sins so that we might have even eternal life. And Lord, if there be one here who does not know you tonight, I would pray that your Holy Spirit would stir within their heart. They would come and ask, other questions of what else did Moses and Yeshua teach about salvation so that they might be a part of this fellowship, that they might know you the one true God so we ask Lord for your blessing on the rest of this time, ask Lord your blessing upon this the rest of Shabbat and into the next week and we ask it in Yeshua's name, Amen For more information about Line and Lamb Ministries call our office at 405-447-4429 Our address is Post Office Box 720-968-Norman-Oklahoma-73070. Our web address is www.lionlam.net. Thank you.